0: Maybe be seated, play the first video. Drop your sword. That's okay. So we, well, let's pray first. We need to. Dear Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that we could gather here and dig into your word. We know that some of it is difficult and some of it is hard to understand. And yet, we pray that you would be with us. That you would guide our discussion time and help us to learn from you. That the words I speak would not be mine, but would be your Holy Spirit guiding us, teaching us, showing us your heart for us. Be with us as we dig in today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing our series, appropriately entitled, Drop the Sword, and how to read our Bible without hurting people. Now, last week, we talked literally how we read our Bible and and how we take all of it, and I got some feedback, and it was beautiful. Some people loved it. There was no middle ground some people were like, this is the greatest sermon I've ever heard. Others were like, mm, not so much. Meanwhile, I'm standing there going, people were listening. I'm so excited. Whether you liked it or you didn't or whatever you thought about it, I was just excited that, that it was hopefully a word from the Lord that we were all listening to and it was teaching us and forcing us to ask some tough questions because I am a fan that you should ask the tough questions. Last week when I said we should ask the tough questions, I I got comments that said, how dare you question, uh, or tell us we should question the virgin birth and the Trinity and the, the resurrection, and I said, no, we have to. If Christianity can't stand up to our questions, what's the point? We have to be able to ask those questions. We have to ask, does this really matter? We were never designed for blind faith. That being said, some of our scripture is a little complicated. It's got 2,000 years of tradition and history behind it, and it's thousands of pages and wars fought over what it means. In Second Peter, Peter writes that Paul's scripture, Paul's writings are scripture, but they are difficult to understand. And he says this, he says, the ignorant and the wicked twist them. Now Peter wrote that in about 67, 70 AD, depending on on where you find your research. By the time Peter writes this, people are already taking scripture and using it to hurt people and twist it and destroy what it was meant for. Today's scripture is no different. For thousands of years, people have used our scripture today to hurt people. And our scripture, you'll see in your bulletin, is Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And I had Dot, actually Chase had Dot read this for us, so I'm going to play that, or Lisa will play it. Submit to each other out of respect for Christ. For example, wives should submit to their husbands as if to the Lord. A husband is the head of his wife, like Christ is head of the church. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Sorry. Every time I turn the volume, it does that. I don't know why. Make sure we know. But it says. Wives, submit to your husbands. We hear this. And immediately we start to bristle at it. But it's our scripture. We hear this. And I know people who don't go to church because of that verse. And yet it's in our scripture. That idea, wives, submit to your husbands, has been used by husbands screaming it across the house because something wasn't right. While researching this sermon, I found the single most offensive t-shirt I have ever seen in my life. I almost showed it, but realized it was so offensive, I couldn't put a picture up. It said, wives, submit to your husbands. And then it said underneath, go make me a sandwich. (laughs) No, like, no, this is not okay. (laughs) But this is what happens. This is literally using the Bible to hurt people. Husbands have screamed this out. Pastors have stood in pulpits and reminded women of where they have been called to be. People have used this verse to teach their daughters to be meek and quiet. People have whispered this verse in their spouse's ears to remind them of their place when they are being too boisterous. This verse has been used to justify all sorts of behavior. That when wives begin complaining about their husbands, people around them say, well, you you just have to submit. And it gets used to excuse everything from socks on the floor to even physical violence. But I don't think any of that is actually what any of this has to do with what's going on. And I'll say a few things here. First off, if you are a husband and you use this verse at all, you've used it wrong. And you've just taken it completely out of context. If you look at your wife and you say, "Um, submit to me, I'm just gonna put this out there, you're a lousy husband. I'm sorry, you should not ever do that if you have to use this verse to get your wife to live into some expected behavior, you're doing it wrong. You've missed the entire point of this verse and of marriage. If you are married to someone and they use this verse to excuse physical violence or abuse in any situation, get out. Get safe. Get help. In your bulletin, you will see the phone number for the voice, the domestic violence hotline for this area. If your husband uses this verse on you, use that number and get out. Yes, please, it is not okay. What I have found is that every time a man or anyone uses this verse, the first part, wives submit to your husbands, they always forget the second part. They always seem to neglect this. It starts in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus died for his beloved. We always seem to forget that part when we get so busy trying to use the first half to control our spouse, which is what domestic abuse is, it's never okay, and it's never excused. It's always about power and control. It always forgets the second part. It goes on in verse 26, Jesus did this to make her holy by washing her in a bath of water with the word. He did this to present himself with splendid with a splendid church, one without any stain or wrinkle, but rather one that is holy and blameless. That's how husbands ought to love their wives, in the same way as they do their own bodies. Anyone who loves his wife loves himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds it, takes care of it, just like Christ does for the church. Because we are a part of his body. Now there's the other side of this. Less than Ten or approximately 10% of domestic abuse is on the male, the husband is the victim. Wives, you, you don't get to quote this to get your husband to do something. It looks different though. A lot of times, maybe she doesn't hit you, but when you can't fix something, she makes sure to remind you how incompetent you are. Maybe, maybe he doesn't hit you, but he shouts submission from the other side of the room when he needs something. Maybe it's not a physical violence, but it's controlling who your friends are. And and when you go out, you have to call when you arrive, you have to call when you leave, you have to take pictures of where you are so they know where you are. It's never okay. It's never excusable. So what is this saying? What is this saying then about marriage? What is this saying for both spouses? It talks about the way Christ loves the church. That Christ sacrifices for the church. If one of you has to look at your spouse and say, sacrifice for me, that's not quite how it goes. It's a willing, laying down, looking out for the better part of the other person. You shouldn't have to be told this. Like, you shouldn't look at your spouse and say, you have to sacrifice for me. Instead, it's a willingness. But it also goes on and says, this was to present their spouse without any stain or wrinkle, rather, is holy and blameless. It's about making the other person better. Husband or wife, you make the other person better. You lift them up. It's not love if you have to pull someone down to your level. It's a love that's holy and blameless that lifts the other person up. That says, I want you to be better than me. And when both people are actively working to make the other person better, Everybody's better. What happens then is, as it goes down, it talks about a love. Each of you should love your wife and love your husband. It becomes so much more and out to get myself or out to get what I want at the expense of my spouse, whatever that is, but instead become something that lifts each other up. You can't do that through control. You can't do that through using scripture to hurt the other one or get them to behave a certain way. That was never what this was designed for. Instead, our scripture, as we talked last week in 2 Timothy, was useful for training us to do good. And so this becomes how we do that. Our doing good is about a a kind of care for our spouses that actually lifts them up, each other, husbands and wives and back and forth, as Christ loved the church by doing whatever was necessary for each other to be better. Now, this looks like all sorts of things. There are the very traditional roles and there are very progressive roles or or more modern ideas uh, of marriage in terms of who takes over the chores and who does what and how this all works. What becomes the core though is not how the division of labor is split up in the house and and who works and who stays home or, or this, but instead becomes what is functional so that each of you are better because of what's happening. The moment it becomes, well, I am better at the expense of the other is the second we end up going down dangerous roads. They may not always end up in divorce. They might end up celebrating your 50th wedding anniversary and looking at each other and going, I don't know who this person is anymore. It might not always end up in divorce. It might just end up in two awkward roommates living together who never really talk, who don't know what each other's favorite color is anymore because the last time they sat and talked to each other, it didn't end well. Whatever those situations are, whether it goes all the way to a divorce or whether it's awkward roommates or whether it's anything less than two people trying to help each other to be better, it's heartbreaking. It's it's disastrous. Nobody wants that. Yet, too often, that's exactly what happens. Because we've taken these kinds of scriptures and applied them in ways that hurt people and said, well, one person is is beneath me and and I'm, you know, I get to be the leader and you have to listen to what I say and suddenly it's unequal. And we're not trying to lift each other up. We're instead pushing one down so we can get further ahead. That's not how God designed this. That's not the part we're supposed to play in all of this. Instead, it becomes helping each other loving each other the way Christ loves the church. So then, if you heard this verse this morning and you bristled at it, because you have been the victim of this verse, may you know that's not how God designed it. May you know that you are worth more than being a victim of religious abuse or verbal abuse or physical abuse. are a royal child of God. A prince or princess of God. An heir to the throne of God. Co-heirs with Christ. If you are the offender and you have used this verse or other verses like it or just genuinely hurt your spouse, it's not okay. It's not right. There is no excuse for it. You can't sit here and say, well, if she didn't make me so mad, I wouldn't have done it. Or if he hadn't left his socks on the floor, I wouldn't have done it. It's not okay. You need to get help. You need to stop. Jesus still loves you and grace is still for you, but it needs to stop. There is no excuse for abuse. There's no world where it becomes okay. As a church, as United Methodists, we stand with the victims, the abused and the hurting, and we say, this is not okay. We believe that the steps necessary to stop, to be safe, are more important than maintaining any sort of outward appearance. In your bulletin is the number for the voice. If you need it, use it. It's a domestic abuse support system. If you don't need it, the statistics bear out that you probably know someone who does need it. Hand them the bulletin. Hand them the bulletin and say, here's this number. Give them a call because it's that important. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, we confess that we have used Scripture to hurt people. We confess that we have taken this verse and used it for control and for power, and that is never how you designed it. Pray that you forgive us Give us the tools and the steps we need to stop. We pray for those of us who have been hurt, who hear this scripture and we bristle at it because it's been used against us, that you would give us the courage to step out, to get out, to get safe, whatever that looks like. We pray that at the end of our days, we would know what love is because you loved us. We would know what marriage is because of your example to the church. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.